the role reversal for this week is Pastor Carlos, you preached yesterday. And so where you have been the, the grand inquisitor uh, and uh, the person who has um, navigated uh, or, or steered us along, I get to try my hand at that this week because you preached. So uh, yesterday, uh, just getting us to what we're here for, um, you brought a message that was entitled Make Way from Daniel chapter 7. Um, I, yes. I remember... Uh, and I, I, I remember that, um, and I, I don't know if I've shared with this in this setting. Uh, one of one of my, if not my, my most favorite pastor and, and biblical teacher is Alistair Begg. Um, and uh, aside from uh, pastoring uh, Parkside Church um, in Ohio, I know that he is a a speaker. Um, a Christian speaker and teacher who has taught extensively around the globe. And he um, is featured most prominently in, a, in, a, in his ministry called Truth for Life. And I recall listening to a series of teachings, and this might have been in the 80s in like the UK, um, that are recorded on Truth for Life um, that, are, that deal with Daniel uh, and uh, Pastor Begg uh, actually okay. teaches for, from chapter one through chapter six. And I recall in his introduction uh, to, to whatever message he was delivering from chapter six, he was apologizing to his audience um, who might have been anticipating that he was going to be teaching all the way through the book of Daniel. Um, and he was apologizing on the fact that he wasn't and that his teachings would be stopping with Daniel chapter six. For the reason that everything after chapter six, as Pastor Begg puts it, just gets too weird. <laughs> um, and so you you <laughs> yes. engage in so the something... first chapter of, of Daniel's. <laughs> Go ahead. Well, something that needs to be noted. So right now we are going through the one year chronological study plan. We we make a note of every uh, of this every episode, and so. Uh, as I told the 830 service, it, it was a tough choice. Either you're going to get a sermon on the new heaven, uh, the new temple in Ezekiel, where we're measuring it out and what does that mean? Or we're going to get into the apocalyptic literature, which means we're going to look at some weird things. And so the weird things won, but we looked at it not as a, uh, you must be a premillennialist or a uh, a millennialist or post-millennialist, rather we're going to look at this as God in his sovereignty. So we, I took what I would consider the mild approach <laughs> to the weird stuff. Sure. And I, sure. And I, and I appreciated that in the message and you, you actually, uh, you've actually brought in some things that I wanted uh, for us to start uh, engaging by, by, by engaging uh, this chapter with, um, before maybe we worked through the text. Um, and one thing that, uh, that I hope for the, those in the church who have been reading along uh, with us this year with the chronological reading plan, uh, one thing that I hope that we have uh, discerned, if it has not been evident, uh, it, it, I guess in a distinct way, is that if we have read from the book of Genesis and Exodus and Judges and 
Proverbs and Psalms um, and now into Daniel is that as God has spoken his word through different individuals, um, that method of inspiration has uh, allowed for um, the God's word to be delivered uh, to creation in varying literary forms so that you have what's known as historical narratives or if you like uh, uh, stories that are are, are uh, historically rooted right like Genesis Exodus Leviticus numbers Deuteronomy um, you have wisdom literature right from Proverbs you have poetry in the Psalms um, but as you pointed out um, in Daniel we're engaging uh, with an apocalyptic literature, which um, I think it's worthwhile noting is unique from prophetic literature. You know, we've had we've had opportunity yes. to read prophecy from the the likes of Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel, uh, and I'm wondering. Um, how do you, how, when, when you as a biblical reader and a biblical teacher uh, are engaging with apocalyptic literature, how are you approaching those texts? Um, and, and what can you offer to us, I guess, in a mild way um, that would enable us to overcome the oddity that comes with engaging with apocalyptic literature? So uh, the first thing I would say to that is, uh, you again quoting um, Alistair Begg, um, um, kind of going on a little bit of a bunny trail. He's asked, well, "What does it mean to be reformed?" And he says, "Well, you pick up your Bible, you read your Bible, you're reformed." Um, in the same way, um, to engage with the texts at hand. We let the Bible do the, inter the bulk of the interpretation itself, understanding that um, much like you and I always talk about this. And um, I remember a year ago when I first came in, one of our very first engagements enjoying working together was, hey, make sure I'm not saying something here that is off the off, like off left field. Uh, that's not recoverable or heretical when engaging in reading for study. So first off, the Bible does the setting, the context for everything. Two, it's approaching it through prayer um, and asking God to speak th on his own terms regarding what the segment of the Bible we're going to, to speak about. And that's the general rule. More specific to, say, Daniel, uh, portions of Ezekiel, the book of Revelation, um, we, and, and also, uh, for example, Matthew 24, where Jesus is beginning to say, these are the signs of the end of the world. We need to understand that the visions and the language expressed, like, say, the four beasts in Daniel 7, um, or any of the, vision, of the visions given in Revelation, um, they're rooted within a context in history. These visions are also rooted within a context of the people to whom they're being given. And so to understand and to land where the original audience would have understood that allows us then as modern day readers of this book to then say, 
while this is the the intent of the author for the original audience, for us, as the third wave of audiences, um, many centuries removed, then this is how it applies to us. So that's the way that I approach the text uh, with great respect, because if we do not do so, much like we've discussed, you and I, then what ends up happening is we are looking into people who read things and um, I, I hope I'm not butchering the word anachronistically, uh, meaning it's out of time, making making things assertions that are that are out of time with what the text is saying. Um, and also we get to say things that could lead people down a very dark path to say that some things are in the Bible when they're not. So I think that's super helpful. Um, could maybe I try to paraphrase uh, a little bit of, of what you've offered there? And I've, I've heard it summed up this way. Sure. Um, when we engage, when we engage with something like Daniel, particularly apocalyptic literature, where we have this um, this wonderful imagery that's given, it's a right. word given to a people, but it's not given to us as Christians as we as, as we have inherited this this uh, this text, but it's a word for us. And so then our approach is to understand since God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, while it's a word that is not to us because those images no longer, um, they, they don't have the relevance to us because we are not the, that original audience. Our work is to understand how is this word to be applied for us? Correct. You think that that's a uh, that's fair? So and it's, I think it's fair. Um, and I, and again, it all goes back to letting the Bible speak for itself within the context in which the text is given. So, for example, Daniel seven is given after Daniel comes out of the lion's den, and then Daniel eight then right. goes on to other visions that go into this is how we know that the promised one of the Messiah, the Messiah is coming. And this is how we know that the kingdom of God will be established, the ancient of days, the son of man. And so understanding also that as the chapter seven opens, uh, it says in the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon. Well, two chapters ago in chapter five, we see that Belshazzar is in his last uh, day as king. And he blasphemes God and God takes care of him. And lo and behold, the vision of chapter seven, the first beast passes away. And then we see the, the ushering of the second beast, the bear that has one side raised, one side raised and three ribs upon its teeth, uh, devouring much flesh. Well, that's the Medo-Persian empire. Uh, what God reveals to <clears throat> Daniel during the first year of the king comes to comes to pass during Daniel's lifetime, um, as we see the handwriting on the wall. So it, it, understanding that and taking the time to read carefully the cues of uh, history, historicity, like you said, the stories that are historically rooted, to see how all those things kind of 
create the bounds by which we can understand those visions. It's, it's very important. And, and quite frankly, it brings the Bible to life because it, it, it makes you stand or sit in awe of the God who provided the scripture to us. Right. And so that's super helpful. Thank you for that. Um, in that, one of the challenges that, that I felt that you did a, an excellent job of illuminating, one of the challenges that we face that was certainly the case for Daniel, uh, and, I, and I'm hoping we can engage with this and, and really um, put some, some legs to how um, we as Christians are, are facing similar plights um, in, in our modern day that makes this more than just, a, I mean, certainly a word for us, um, is as you were, as you were sharing, um, early in your message yesterday, uh, about those, those various kingdoms that, uh, were reigning, were in control or were soon to be, um, maybe you can walk us through what those kingdoms, um, we're representing in terms of the challenge to people, uh, to a people of faith and how that becomes a word for us today. Um, as we ourselves are challenged sure. by maybe not kingdoms because we don't have, uh, many monarchies left in this world. Um, but just how maybe systems of government become challenges for us. Right. Sure. And so this is where I, I'm guessing you're taking this up the very first point where there are many pretenders who would rule in God's place. Um, and I'm just taking based on what that because that's the very first thing after reading the Bible, the scripture uh, reference for the sermon. Um, as we look in Daniel 7, uh, first we see that Daniel is given a vision that is alarming to him. Uh, something that while the other prophets, like say Isaiah, Jeremiah, are given visions that alarm them, um, this is one that Daniel keeps to himself. And there's a real, uh, a, a real intentionality there, I believe, on the part of the prophet and on the part of God to inspire that to be the case. Meaning it's not something that he went, he went to the king and said, oh, by the way, king, uh, Belteshazzar, uh, you're going to die. And then after you are going to come other, all these other kingdoms. Uh, and after this last beastly, unsightly kingdom, uh, then the Ancient of Days will send the Son of Man, his son, to reign over all of creation. And by the way, his kingdom will, will never have an end and no one will be able to over, overcome it. And so we need to understand that now. The beautiful thing that comes with the, the encouragement of, again, in exile, in the middle of suffering and serving kings that are despots in the fullness of the modern intent of the world, of the word, I should say, um, then we see how God is giving hope to, to Daniel and how that gives us hope. Because as we read Daniel 7, and let me turn to this so I don't butcher it because God forbid I should do so. Um, if you're reading Daniel 7, it says here that it says the first was like a lion with wings of an eagle. So when you read the when you read the, the context for each of the beasts, 
It has features of every ge the geographical areas that come. Now, then he goes and says, well, the second beast is going to be a bear. The third is going to be a leopard. And the fourth one, he doesn't have words to describe it, but it describes it as it, its behavior. Um, it will devour. It, and whatever it does not devour, it will stamp with its feet. And, and it will kill and destroy. So for us, when we look at the beasts, we may, like I told the people listening to us online and to our congregation, it's not that we see China or Russia or the U.S. in this text because that it, it does not compute for the people receiving this from Daniel and from God at the time of the revelation. But what we do see is that the power of the world, the, the systems that are in place presently, um, they're prone to temptation, to sin, to the fallen conception of what our humanity imposes to those systems, because ultimately it's people leading people, whether you're the mayor of our town, whether you're the governor of our state, or whether you are the prime minister or the president or the monarch of a, a nation, you are human. And therefore, when those people turn their gaze away from God, then suddenly the temptation, the proneness to sin, the proneness to evil comes very quickly. And that then inflicts pain upon the people. Now, we, know, we can assert that from the text because, again, of the context. Where are the people at this time? Well, they're in exile. They're still in Babylon. They're in exile. Babylon is in turmoil. Right. And then the people in turmoil are now dealing with the kingdom is not as strong as it, it once appeared, like under Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar was the height of the Babylonian, the Babylonian Empire. But after him, the kings that followed him, his children and grandchildren, they were not as strong as, his, as, as Nebuchadnezzar. And therefore, when you get to Belshazzar, well, the Medo-Persian the Medo Empire is at the door. And what is the king doing? Well, he's having a feast. Remembering the glory days of his great-grandfather or grandfather. Well, that's sinfulness. It's lack of forethought and foresight. And therefore, that brings pain to the people. In the same way for us today, when we as believers um, come and proclaim the good news, there's going to be pushback against us. There's going to be the 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 reality that what scripture says is to be true and virtuous and right, society does not see as true because again, just to apply today, we can say according to scripture, a man is a man, a woman is a woman, because they have been designed so by God. But if we step outside of the realm of, of faith, outside of the church walls, or outside of our community of faith, because the church is not a building, then we're going to see that my truth, according to mo most modern scholars, is not your truth. So every, everything now, instead of becoming foundational and true, now becomes relativistic. And so that's one area where we see how the powers outside of God's kingdom, namely the church, 
then come trying to oppress that which God has already set in place. Now, that's just in the spiritual area. When you look at the way that governments may carry out their discharge, again, the Bible says government is instituted by God, which is something that the vision allows. And the vision of the Ancient of Days, he rules, but he lets the beasts have their have their time. But God still controls the flow of history. And then we see how he judges rightly. Well, that means that God is using for good or for bad, whatever the governments of the world may do, whatever institutions may do, God will ultimately use it for his glory and his and his worship so that his name is lifted up. And so when we read, when we come to the text, we can see the beauty of how God is unmoved, how God is always steadfast, strong, unwavering. And that is the hope that comes for the Christian in the middle of what happens in the world. Again, none of the nations uh, that are in scripture uh, are, are around in the same form that they were as at the time of the scriptural uh, history. So, for example, the ancient kingdom of Israel is not present. The first two temples are not present. Even, even I mean, everything shifted. The Romans are certainly not present. And, and that, that creates the contrast for who God is versus what the creation order in the middle of their sin are doing and how that affects us. I'm, I'm processing uh, everything you've offered and I'm in agreement and I, I, I want to, to maybe offer um, or raise a question um, sure. in light of uh, some of what you shared. And as I, as I heard you uh, speaking to um, the difference between the ancient of days and his rule and his kingdom and the the kingdoms of this world, um, you gave an example uh, to 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 Babylon post Nebuchadnezzar um, as they're feasting um, and remembering yesterday and um, and, uh, and 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 not having their focus or eyes on God. Um, well, we we know that to be the case for them because uh, through through the biblical narrative. We might say they never had their eyes on God. Um, they they are introduced as a people who are absolutely pagan and are divine instruments, as it turns out, to exact judgment against God's people um, with the expectation that they will ultimately fall. And so uh, leading up to chapter 7, we can see uh, the fulfillment of the prophetic aspect of God's word in that, yes, Babylon will do this, but Babylon will fall. We saw this in Jeremiah uh, uh, specifically. But I wonder, though, um, as you've outlined the dichotomy uh, between kingdom and earthly rules, um, what's a realistic expectation, maybe in a general sense, for a tried and true and proven and faithful uh, expression of kingdom or government? Like, should, should we have an expectation 
that there can be kingdom-esque qualities um, to the kingdoms of the world? Or should we in some way, uh, is, it, is it better for us to approach um, this question of the, the political sphere of man um, with an expectation that we're going to go the ways of Babylon? That's a <clears throat> that's a wonderful question. So I know that the way I w I I am going to answer that today is: Should we expect any government on earth to have a kingdom of God element to it? Um, I would say the only element that comes into that would be disciples who are informed and active in it, but not to expect a perfect ruler or to expect a perfect system. Because again, if we as disciples, as we read in the Bible, are still grappling and we are still, um, to use the language of Paul, if we are still struggling as a wrestler with sin in ourselves, because just because we become Christians, it does not mean that we stop struggling with sin but rather it means that we learn the ways of God's grace that enables us to turn away from sin and temptation. So, no, we cannot, I, I don't think we can, we should expect to have, as you would say, um, the idea that we, we on our own power can have uh, a utopian society based on Christian principles by having a theocracy. Uh, not 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 in our current state i think the idea would be that as disciples we see to put forward the best possible al alternative to what um systems are in place so that people are respected because they are made in the image of god that we respect the boundaries of life and death and that we see that even death is not the end of life per se but it's a component of life in the sense that death for the Christian it's is the gateway to eternity. It's it's the entrance into God's presence. Um, pretty much, uh, as I said, as as we relate to this, out of our exile. Wow. So if we should not have such an expectation in a an expression of kingdom or government of this world. And I want to come back to to where you where you took us in the message and, and where, where you saw the text lead. Um, whom then do we keep our focus on? And how do we stay allegiant and faithful? And I'll just say this in the question to that son of man who we know is Christ and who we know is that perfect ruler. Okay. So I think the way that we can do that is simply by observing the difference in the text. So let me read it for us so that you can see the contrast, right? Uh, not, not you, because I know we've read the text extensively, but drawing this out for the audience so here is verse 9, uh, Daniel 7. I kept looking until thrones were set up and the Ancient of Days was seated. 
Now, that's the beginning of this vision of God, the Father, entering his heavenly court. And, and, and before that, we see that there are these beasts coming out of the four, out of the great sea, and they're just wreaking havoc. But God comes and in a, a regal, stately manner, takes his throne. Continues to describing the fact that he is holy beyond belief because his, his countenance and his robes are, you know, white as wool. And he's dressed in, in radiance. His throne is holy to the point that it's, it, it, it resembles fire. And here's a beautiful thing about it. It, tell, it tells us that there's a great crowd of, of holy ones serving him. And as, mm-hmm. he, as they're serving him, everyone then is settled and the books are open. So God is about to pronounce his edict. This is where we see his, his peaceful, regal, and very much fearsome countenance overtake everything that's going on in the world. And so as we see this particular element of who he is, then that's the source of hope for the believer. Because as we see him taking court in session to dictate history, we are then given this wonderful element of of what would be... um, an anthropomorphism, which again, it's a $10 word theologically. It means that here we see this presence of God and we are actually seeing him described, the, the second person of the Trinity, described in actual human terms that tells us that he has been always incarnate. It's not something that happened right. after the Romans came, but he's always been very God and very man. I kept looking in the night visions and behold, the clouds of heaven uh, one like the son of men was coming and he came up to the ancient of days and came near to before him and to him was given dominion glory and a kingdom that all the peoples nations and men of every tongue might serve him his dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not be taken away and his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed so if we if we just take that image of god the father acknowledging God the Son as the regent of the universe, then that effect, um, that effects, uh, affects us in the sense that, one, whatever happens here, it, it's, it's, a, it's a byproduct of just passing through this world because we know who our king is. And second, we know where our home is. Right. Again, we worship in exile right. while we live on this, in this world. And that's something that because of the way that we are conditioned to uh, think as human beings, we are very much experiential beings in the sense that, well, this is, this is where I was born. This is where my parents raised me. Uh, this, is, this, this is what seems natural to me. So this must be home. But scripture says, no, this, is, this was home, but it was corrupted. So God in his providence knowing that this would happen is preparing a, a better place for us because sin will be no more. Death will be no more. Suffering will be no more. And we will rejoice with him. 
But again, something that you uh, provided for me as a launching pad for this this the sermon yesterday. We are we are worshiping in exile, and that means that while this place may seem familiar, and we are told to grow crops and build houses and have children in this place, right. We're only here for a time until God takes us and brings us back to our home. And so for the Christian, that means right. eternity with, with the Father, uh, where sin is no more, temptation is no more, and, and we get to relish that relationship with him. And so that's where, that's where we see that, that element of hope and how that works out in, into our lives then brings us to spending time with people who are of like faith, uh, getting to know the Father uh, by reading Scripture. Um, uh, it also expresses itself in acts of service and self-sacrifice for the benefit of others. Uh, it expresses itself by the way in which we worship, uh, and not in the sense of running around, shaking about, but knowing that when we come to meet God, much like it's our, our custom here at First Baptist Divine, we understand that we come for the audience of one, right? That's something that we always encourage our people to remember. It also means that we don't just make this a Sunday and Wednesday uh, thing, right? We, we try to, as best as we can, with all that we have, make it a... Um, everyday um, happenstance in our lives, meaning whatever we do, we do to the, to the honor and glory of God, and that happens in community. And when we do those things, we're reassur we are reassuring ourselves that it's all to the glory of God, but it's also for our edification and to build a community that reflects that which is to come in eternity future. When, you know, sickness is gone, suffering is gone, and all that, all that is, is the radiance of God that provides light to the new heaven, the new earth, and we get to fully rejoice with the true king of the universe. Which is awesome, right? To have that expectation of eternity at peace with our maker, um, our redeemer, um, and a, and a renewed creation and glorified bodies. Um, so that compels us, that propels us, that empowers us to persevere because we have that expectation for a future hope that has yet to be fully fulfilled. Um, right. And so we, we, we press on. And as you, uh, you led us to in the course of that pressing on, we don't do so with faces that are begrudging or, or anything of that like, but we do so with great joy. In fact, as heralds of this kingdom. Why don't you maybe uh, share that with us as in bringing this home, so to say, of um, of how we how we live this out um, with the, this expected hope and um, 
and and yeah, just that how how we live this out. So, because we know, uh, and again, we know based on scripture. So, again, we point back to the reality that when we confess that Christ is Lord, when we confess that his word is infallible and unchanging, then what we are confessing is that we have God revealing himself to us. In the process of that, which is not to... Because I don't want people to think, well, Pastor Dan last week told us, well, we need to understand that our anger and our sorrow are part of our worship. And Pastor Carlos is now telling us, well, we just need to be joyful and green and bear it. Those things actually go together in the sense that I'm not telling you we need to fight these things off. But if we actually surrender our hatred, which is a very real portion of who we are as humans. If we surrender our anger, if we surrender our hurt, then what happens is God heals us because he's a faith, he's a great physician. He can heal us spiritually. Yes. That's where the healing begins for us right. spiritually. God can certainly miraculously heal those that are physically infirmed. Uh, when the church prays together, God can do great things, not because we are twisting his arm, but because we are right. confessing that he is able and capable to do great things because he's God. So I don't want people to right. think we're contradicting each other. What we're saying here is by surrendering who we are, we are allowing God to take hold of every portion of our being. And by surrendering that, then we allow him through his word, through the Bible, to show his goodness to us, to show us the better way of living. And so if we are to be heralds of this kingdom that is already present in the world because Christ came, he was born of Mary, he grew up, he grew in, in dignity and grace and stature before the people of his time, uh, meaning when he was in, on earth as a child, because he lived a perfect life, sinless life, and because he went to the cross fulfilling all of the different prophecies by Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, um, even Daniel, all of these men, faithful men that obeyed God in proclaiming and, proclaim, and making the proclamation about the Messiah, then we know that in his resurrection we have the beginning of this kingdom, it's been established in the sense that it started. Where the world says that's where we defeated him, that's where he was enthroned and crowned. That's, that's yes. where he was glorified. Um, and the beauty of that Amen. is that the perfect son of God took upon himself the holy and perfect wrath of God, the father, because of for all the sins of, of those that will confess him for all that will come to him drawn up, drawn by the Holy spirit. That means that we can have peace with him. And so if we are to be heralds of this kingdom, then we rejoice knowing that one, when we die here on earth, it's not the end that when we die here, uh, much like scriptures testify, 
there are two day, two things that are appointed unto men. One is to die, and the second is the judgment, right? So we know that when we come to those two appointed times for us, whether it be today or whether it be 40 years from now or 50 years from now, then we know that we will not be received as an enemy of his kingdom, but we will be received right. as the the son or daughter of the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And if that is our hope, then we are to be compelling one another to, one, surrender your selfish desires and your pride so that you can lead the life that reflects that belief, which then is the proof of that conviction by which we live, right? It's, it verifies what we believe. And second, it compels us to share that with others, but not to do so in a sense of, well, you know, everything this world has to offer is so much fun. Um, but, right. But but if you really want to, if you want to have eternal life, you have to surrender those fun things uh, and, and, and follow Jesus in this dreadful way of existence. That's not at all what we see in Scripture. As a matter of fact, we see that, again, in the book of Acts, uh, when people came to confess Christ as Savior, they had community. Uh, they had a, a sense of joy about right. them. I mean... Uh, Peter preached in the temple after he is he's being brought back by by Christ. Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? And he says, "Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you with all that I am." And and he goes and preaches. Right, the guy who ran and cursed Jesus preaches in the temple, and how many thousands of men are converted? That does not include Three. wives. Yeah, 3,000 does not include wives or children. And immediately, the city of Jerusalem, and, it's... And it says, it and it says they were baptized puzzle. that day, too. I just want to know how they pulled that off without uh, uh, pastors, associate pastors, without deacons. Because this is all before any there of those things were around. This was just the apostles. There was 11 of them, actually. 11 of them. So... Um, yeah, so, so some shoulders got sore that day. Um, yeah, yeah. The constant motion, uh, or just have them do the, the bopping into the, into the river and not making fun of that. But here is the, the wonder of how God transforms and brings joy into the lives of people. I mean, we're also talking about a, a people who in their joy said, let's sell everything we have. Let's have everything in common so that no one has need. Um, and then you can debate whether that was wise or not. And then you have years of famine. But here's here's how that joy that because of persecution, the church goes out into the all the areas of the Roman Empire. And then the churches in Macedonia, having received the gospel by Paul's preaching. Then they become aware that their brothers and sisters in Judea in Jerusalem are dealing with famine. Well, what do they do? We cannot let our brothers take and sisters suffer. We must take up a collection and help them. That's how we leave it out. And now I know that I I, I, I yeah. read I, I I very 
vociferously um, uh, stated this yesterday, but this is this is the proclamation of a herald. Thinking, think of this: you are the member of an army that has conquered another army that you thought was going to defeat you, and and you just come to the streets and you're shouting, "Hear ye, hear ye! The Lord of Lords has conquered the ancient foe." Death has lost yeah. its power. The graves that would devour, devour us lay empty on the earth. Rejoice. God has seen fit to grant you mercy and make you a son or daughter. I mean, it doesn't get any better. And when you couple that up nope. with Ephesians 4, then you see the grandiose nature of this God when he descended to the lower parts of humanity. Some people believe that Jesus was in, in hell. Uh, and there are some historical interpretations for that. But when you see that in the context of what Paul is writing to the Ephesians, God became human. He humbled himself to come and share the burdens of human life. But when he ascended right. out of this existence, meaning when he resurrected and ascended into the Father, he brings with him a procession of conquered peoples. Right, And we read this in uh, Daniel 7, where we see that he will have a, a, a kingdom that all the peoples, nations, and men from every tongue will worship him. Paul is right. now writing, in a sense, the fulfillment of this particular vision. When Christ ascended to heaven, he had an entirety of uh, a sample of all the nations after the day of Pentecost, that now he gets to lead into the heavenly court and say, all of these would have been killed as, as vanquished foes. But Father, they're your children. And then that gets into how the church is edified. And to some, he gave the, the gift of being an apostle. To some, he gave the, the gift of being a pastor, teacher, all to the edification of the church. And so that that's how we live it all out. Because again... We have a great God uh, who is sovereign over all things, even the painful and dreadful things of life, um, which, again, here in our area, still dealing with Uvalde, remembering 9-11, um, which was yesterday, of course. And then we are fearlessly reminded that God can use those dreadful circumstances if we let him, if we do not become too, pr too, too proud or too selfish. He can use that and turn it for good. And so that's Amen. the beauty of the gospel. That, that's how we live it out. Amen. Amen. Well, I don't, I don't have any more questions related to the text. I do have questions uh, that I, I want to maybe get your input on. Um, and I do want to remind our listeners that if you have questions, you can you can submit them in the comments to um, this video on YouTube, or you can send them to us by way of email at info at fbcdivine.org. Um, but before I before I kind of shift to um, a little bit of a different subject that I want to hear your input on, is there anything else you'd like to add about Make Way from Daniel chapter seven? I would encourage our church family and those that will, would listen to this podcast to not be afraid of asking questions of the hard passages of the Bible. Um, I would also encourage um, our, our friends who may listen to this and 
may be struggling with everything evil in the world, read the end of the book. I, I'm not. I'm not trying to tell you to um, be taken aback by the dragon and the beast and the harlot, but focus on on the main character. He he con- he vanquishes his foes. He conquers evil. And here's the beauty the beauty of, of, of this message. He makes all things new. Now, we don't have to wait Amen. for the newness of life until eternity future. We can we can encounter that today. <laughs> we can encounter that through Amen. the through the work of Christ, through the work of the Holy Spirit. And he's 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 extending his arms out, calling out to men and women, will you believe in me? Will you become my son and surrender who you are? So make way for him. I mean, it, it's it's as, as, as big a call as a herald for a nation, but it's also that of an evangelist. Make way for the king who wants to have you as his subject. Surrender yourself, repent of your sins, and let him rule in your life. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you for that. Um, that's all that's can't, uh, can't agree more. Um, and so if that is, if that is something you have questions about or are not sure of, of, of just how to move forward with that, reach out to us. Um, and we, we would love to be able to, to discuss uh, those matters or those concerns with you. Now we started Amen. Pastor Carlos by, by my um, announcing for folks that the, the roles are reversed. And so I don't know how often I'm going to get to do this, um, but I'm going to take some executive privilege um, for Sounds the good. last few minutes here. Um, and so we are going to test your prophetic ability. And this is actually really oh important as you minister in South Texas. Um, you, you may not know this, uh, but you, you've completed a year. If you're about of to ask me about a football divine. game, <laughs> I'm about to ask you about three, bro. Um, this week, um, I am. This week, this week there are three, in my estimation, three rivalry games. Um, two, two are well established, and one is a rivalry that is really centered on me. Um, and I'd love to just hear who you have as picks for the games. Okay. The first that we oh have All is right, let's go. my Natalia Mustangs. My Natalia Mustangs are traveling to Lytle. Um, they're, they're going to lock horns. Oh, the pirates. In, uh, in, in the pirates. Yeah. They're going to lock horns with a, with a traditional foe there. And I'm just wondering, who do you got? The tie is coming in, I believe, 0-2. Lytle, I believe, is 1-1 one one coming into this week. Well, I mean, I mean, if, if I have to take it just by the odds, I think Natalia might be up. Uh, but I I saw uh, the spread for, you know, celebrating the football teams and the coaches. It also seems that Natalia may actually have a good chance based on some of the highlights from their football team. So, I'd say it's a 50-50, but if you have to ask me, maybe Lytle. So this was Pastor Carlos' last day <laughs> with First Baptist Church Devon. Um, <laughs> no, I'm 
No. Okay. So you're, you're picking, you're taking Lytle at home. You're taking Lytle at home and that's fair. Um, we will find how unprophetic you are by next week. Um, but uh, we'll go and with I, that. By the way, we dis- also disclaimer have, for uh, everyone. I am not a prophet. <laughs> yeah. We, we also I have I, 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 Hondo. We, we also have the Hondo Owls uh, who will be hosted by the Divine War Horses on Friday night. Another uh, longstanding rival. Who you got, bro? Do you have any stats on their performance so far? I think Hondo is like one and one and one and oh, zero. And oh. oh wow. Well, if I again if I go by the numbers, then it seems like Divine is actually having better odds. Then again, I'm I'm biased because you know, First Baptist Church Divine. So I, I would say Divine might actually have a good chance. Um, but you never know. It, it's those heavy rivalries that always get you in, like, there's always about trying to take the, the win in the other team's turf. So I, I'm, I'm going to stick with Divine. I think Divine might, might actually hold it because they okay. don't want that type of rep. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm. I got nervous that you were going to go Hondo there for a second. Um, but okay, so you've got mm. Nata- or you've got Lytle. You got Lytle over Natalia. Lytle, and you got Divine over Hondo. <clears throat> okay, right. Third one. This is not a high school game, but this is the first of a head-to-head matchup. And I consider it to be okay. the potential for a great rivalry and tradition. On Saturday, okay. at 7 p.m., at Daryl K. Royal Memorial Stadium, my UTSA Roadrunners will be locking horns with the Texas Longhorns. Both teams are one Ooh. and one. This past Saturday, um, Texas lost um, to Alabama, number one, or was number one, Alabama, by one point, 20 to 19. Um, And this past Saturday, my UTSA Roadrunners went up to West Point and in overtime beat Army 41 to 38. So both teams won and won. I think Texas is ranked 21 after losing by only one point to then ranked number one Bama. Uh, UTSA is unranked. These two teams have never met before. There may be 70 miles that separate their two campuses. Who you got? Right. Well, I know it was a big thing for the opening uh, game two weeks ago, it was here at the Alamo Dome, and UTSA kind of kind of floundered I'm um, you know well, it's triple overtime dude if I, if I, I mean, have they to, lost by two it was, I know that was right uh, hey I'm just I'm just calling out what transpired overall so I would have to say if who doesn't like a good underdog I think uh, UTSA again Okay. I think UTSA may have it, if anything, because they want to show that 
if they if they get in the right mindset, they want to show that they can they can take down the Longhorns any day. And and you're right that that has potential to be okay. one of the most um, enjoyable rivalries if they get this going. Yep. Okay. But again, so folks, you've got disclaimer and divine. Not a profit. <laughs> yes. Okay. I, I don't know that Lytle okay. would, would be local, but, you know, local enough. <laughs> all, all the local schools, I guess. All right. Well, if you, uh, I don't know, we'll see. We'll see how, how this turns out. Um, we'll, uh, we'll critique you or we will celebrate you next time we get together. <laughs> So I would like to say that it's an honor always to fill the pulpit when, when you give me the opportunity and um, something for people who think that preaching is something that is done with a very easy type of task. We observe the task of preaching as the most sacred duty uh, outside of ministering to people one-on-one and, and being shepherds to the flock. Um, it's not something that we enter with a sense of, look look how much better I am than anyone else in the room, but rather how merciful a God that he would call us um, to to proclaim his word, that he would give us the joy of seeing people like Valerie and Jacob come and be baptized. Um, or Tiffany and Aaron, or any of the others, um, and and we also take it with a great sense of uh, uh, duty, in a sense, uh, because of the the warning that's given to us in James that not 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 many of us should aspire to be teachers, for to us there will be a more strict um, standard by which we should be. Uh, held accountable. So thank you for those of you who come and are part of our our work. Um, I know that it's a blessing to work with you, Dan. It's a blessing to, to always see how God blesses the work that we do, which is basically taking the Bible and explaining it to folks and helping them to apply it day by day. Amen. Thank you, brother, and thank you for your faithfulness, and thank you for listening to us. Again, if you have questions, drop them in the comment or send us a note at info at fbcdivine.org.